0: Good we are continuing our series entitled At the Crossroads of Life and Death. Today is part two. Last week we looked at Mary Magdalene and how she was one of the women who stayed at the cross of Jesus Christ and the love that compelled her to stay with Jesus even as he died. This week we want to look in part two at the centurion who is at the cross of Jesus Christ. And the sermon this morning will be a little bit different. I'm going to be presenting it in the form of a narrative on behalf of the Roman centurion. And so I've taken some liberties in using my imagination at some of the things that he may have been thinking and feeling that compelled him to make the declaration that he made at Jesus' death. But I believe that as we, as we look at things and hear them from his point of view, it could perhaps give us some insight into those who are at the crossroad of life and death, that separated all of history, and today we want to look at that of the centurion. And so I pray that you'll be blessed by it. Uh, I also just want to once again uh, uh, encourage all the men here that this coming Saturday uh, you'll want to be here Saturday morning, eight o'clock in our church basement. Henry Wolfe is going to be sharing his testimony for the community men's breakfast. You're not going to want to miss that. So. Mark that on your calendars and and spread the word that that's going to be happening here this coming Saturday. So just want to remind you of that one more time. Would you bow with me now and let's enter the sermon together with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to glorify you in this time. And so we seek, Lord, to give you all of the glory for what you have done. We give you all praise, Lord, that you went to the cross. But that you didn't go to the cross as other men do. Lord, you were entirely different. Your 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 motives, your reasons, and Lord, even how you went about that day of suffering, Lord, was so different from any other man. And so, Lord, we see that you are the Son of God, and we give you praise for what you've done for us. I pray, Lord, now that as we look at the story of the centurion, that you would give us a fresh understanding, Lord, into what that day could have been like for those who were present there. And so, Lord, I pray that we would again be moved by your sacrifice and that we would be encouraged, challenged, Lord, in what we will do in response. And so bless this word, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I have seen many crucifixions in my life, more than I care to remember. In fact, they have become almost routine to me. But don't get me wrong, it's not as though I enjoy them. It's just that, after a while, you get used to it. The blood, the screams, the cursing, it's all just part of the job. And in the end, they are only criminals, after all. Murderers, thieves, terrorists, insurrectionists, they deserve whatever they get. At least, we assume they do. But either way, it's not my job to judge these men. It's simply my job to follow orders without question. You see, I am a soldier of the Roman Empire. Caesar is my emperor, and for many years I have faithfully served him. Rising up from the lowest ranks, I have become a centurion, with one hundred men directly under my command. For the sake of honor and the glory of Rome, I have fought in countless battles. My sword has shed the blood of many enemies of Rome. And so I know battle. I know what it is to see life and death hang in the balance. I have seen men fall by my hand and others around me. I know what life and death looks like. I am a soldier of Rome. I have learned to fear nothing and no one. As a soldier of Rome, I know what it is to be under command. But today, I'm under command of another. And let me share with you the reason why. You see, I was a soldier of Rome, but I am no longer. You see, much has changed since then. I have changed since then. All because of what I experienced at the very last crucifixion that I was ever put in charge of. As I already said at the outset, while the spectacle of a crucifixion would be absolutely horrifying to any one of you, to me, it was just part of the job, something I had become accustomed to. In fact, in my entire career, there are really only two crucifixions that stand out to me. The first one and the last one. At the first one, I was just a wet-behind-the-ears recruit. They ordered me to hold the prisoner down on the cross as another man drove the nail spikes through his hands and through his feet, and I must have turned white as a sheet because some of the other veteran soldiers laughed at me. There was no showing weakness in front of men like that and so somehow I held it together and I didn't throw up but I can remember to this day the look in that condemned man's eyes as each thrust of the hammer each sound of it breaking through sinew and flesh into that cross I remember the look in his eyes of complete despair and horror as his fate was sealed and I was the reason behind it. I was the one holding him in place. And I've never been able to forget that look because I've seen that same look of despair in the eyes of every criminal I've ever seen crucified, and there have been countless dozens. All of them have looked the same, all except for one man, the last man that I was ever a part of his crucifixion. But now I'm getting ahead of myself. You know, in my past, some of my civilian friends would ask me, how could I be a part of doing something so barbaric, so cruel to another human being? And so I always tell them the same thing that I tell myself so that I can sleep at night. I tell them, he is an enemy of Rome. He's getting what he deserves. You see, as Romans, if we don't punish those who would stand against Rome, if we don't make an example of those who would try to rise up against us, Then others will get ideas, too. You you see, we have to be ruthless to keep our empire under control, especially in Palestine. You see, the Jews, they are some of the most stubborn and hard-headed people that we've ever had to deal with. We've had to put down one uprising after another. And no matter how ruthless we've been with suppressing one group, it always seems like there's another leader springing up, claiming to be their Messiah figure. And then once again, we've got to put down another revolt, and we do the whole thing all over again. You know, it was no secret that our governor, Pontius Pilate, was not exactly thrilled about being posted to Jerusalem, of all places, and neither were we. None of us liked being there in that country of rock and wilderness and desert with people that were constantly trying to rise up against us. We knew that they truly hated us. And it's hard to blame them. We were an occupying force in their country. We knew that if we ever gave them a chance, there'd be a dagger in our backs. And so we always had our guard up. But not everyone was that way towards us. There were some Jews who were good to us. Some who were even kind. Most of those were the ones that we noticed had listened to this traveling preacher, this rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth. You know, we Romans first had to keep an eye on him because Some said he might be the Messiah, and so anyone who could be a threat to Rome leading a rebellion, we had to watch. We had our spies watching him, but we soon began to laugh when we realized he was no threat to us. To us, he was little more than a vagrant preacher who had nothing better to do with his time than wander around, preaching about love and peace and turning the other cheek and loving even your enemies, Some Jews thought that he could be their long-awaited Messiah, but we could clearly see this man was no threat to us. We we Romans knew that peace is not won through love. Peace is won by the edge of a sword. Peace is won by dominating your enemies. And to love even your enemies, what would happen to our Roman Empire if we, instead of ruthlessly conquering our enemies, loved them instead? (laughs) Our empire wouldn't last another year. To me, this Jesus was nothing more than just a naive simpleton, a fool, even. Certainly no Messiah. But my thinking about him began to change when a friend of mine, a fellow centurion, told me the strangest tale. It seems that his servant had become terribly sick. He was paralyzed and racked with pain all over his body. It kept him confined to his bed. And my friend was was beside himself. This was his most devoted servant. He loved him dearly. And so he wanted to do everything he could to have this servant healed. And so he had heard about this Jewish rabbi, who not only preached of love and peace, but it was rumored that he could heal people by simply touching them, by laying a hand on them. It was reported that cripples were made to walk again. He would touch the eyes of the blind and they would see. He would even touch lepers and the festering boils on their skin were made whole again. Incredible stories. Many, many eyewitnesses claimed that they were true and my friend had heard about him. And so my friend sought out this Jesus of Nazareth. He found him in some dirty backwater town of Palestine. He went to him and he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Apparently, Jesus had replied to him that he would come immediately and go to his house. But my friend had been very bold in his request. And this is what he said to him Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my house roof. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. I say to one, Go! And he goes. I say to another one, come, and he comes. I say to another, do this, and he does it without question. And so I know that if you but say the word, my servant will be healed. And apparently, Jesus had heard my friend's response to him had turned to his followers and had said, I have not found someone with such great faith in all of Israel. And then he turned to my friend, looked him in the eyes and said, go your way. It will be done for you just as you have believed it would. And would you believe it? I I still have a hard time believing this, but apparently the very same hour that they had had this conversation, his servant had sat up in bed and was immediately healed. Incredible. This got us all thinking and talking amongst the soldiers. Could this be true? Like, what was at the root of this? What kind of a man could do something like that? Maybe it was just a coincidence, but it sure got me thinking. Then one day, I finally got the opportunity to myself meet this Jesus, this man that I had heard so much about but I'd never met firsthand. But it wasn't how I was expecting to meet him. He was brought to me, you see, shackled in chains. He was presented to me as my prisoner. Apparently, he had been arrested the night before brought before the leaders of his people, they had accused him of some sort of blasphemy, something they were all up in arms about, that he had claimed to be the Son of God. But the bottom line was very clear, they wanted him dead. However, you see, Judea, Palestine, is under Roman authority, so they had no jurisdiction to execute him legally. So they had brought him to our Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. They had said this Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews, and so it was a direct threat to Caesar. They made up all sorts of charges that he was an insurrectionist, that he was, you know, someone who Rome should be worried about, and so he should receive the death sentence. And then they began to say to Pilate that if you don't do this, you're not even a friend of Caesar's. And then we could see he was starting to get nervous. Now, you see, I was in charge of the governor's guard detail for that night. I was in charge of the palace grounds and the men there that day. We were all on edge. We were all in full uniform, full equipment for the night because we could tell from the crowds in the streets that we were one wrong move away from a full-blown riot. We knew if that happened, there was going to be more bloodshed on the streets that night than ever before. Everyone was on edge that night. The crowds were milling around outside. And now here, unexpectedly in this setting, this Jewish rabbi, this Jesus of Nazareth, is my prisoner. So, as I do with all prisoners, he was brought before me, and I sized him up. I wanted to see what kind of a man I was dealing with. I looked him in the eyes, and he looked back, and there was something there that, for the very first moment I met him, I knew something was different. Something was wrong, something was strange about this situation and this man. You see, he wasn't yelling. He wasn't saying foul things towards us. He wasn't cursing us or claiming that he was innocent. He wasn't crying foul at the injustice of, us, of, of it all. He wasn't doing any of the things that I've grown so accustomed to prisoners doing. Instead, he was calm. He was under control. It was almost as though he was the one in charge and not me. While well, we'd see about that, I'd show him who was in charge before the night was over? I knew from experience that he would beg for mercy in the end, just like the rest of them. And so I led him before the governor. Now, let me tell you that Pilate, Pontius Pilate, is not a man to mess with. I have seen him send more men to be crucified without batting an eyelash than you can imagine. He is not someone who's squeamish about making life and death decisions. But the longer he talked with this Jesus, the more he tried to question him. It became apparent to all of us in the room that Pilate was not in charge anymore. It appeared as though someone with more authority than him was present, and Pilate didn't know what to do about it. It seems as though Jesus was actually judging him. And Pilate just became increasingly agitated. I'd never seen him in a state like this before. We dealt with rebellions in the past, but this man was unnerving Pilate in a way I'd never seen. He was pacing back and forth. And then his wife comes into the room, drags him over to the corner, and we could pretend we weren't listening, but we could all overhear her saying, have nothing to do with this man. I had a dream about him last night. And so we saw from that moment, Pilate was looking for any way to release this man. And so he thought he might appease this angry mob outside by having Jesus flogged. Now that may not sound like much to you, but let me tell you that a Roman flogging is a terrible thing. Believe me when I tell you, I've administered this punishment to many men. You see, flogging was a punishment reserved for the most hardened criminals or prisoners of war. 20, 30, 40 lashes on a man's front and back. His... Skin will literally hang from him in strips. Blood will gush out from these wounds, and we knew from experience full well that one out of every three men that we'd administer 40 lashes to would not survive. They just wouldn't make it. It's too much for most men. This is what we had to do to this Jesus of Nazareth. I take no pride in what happened next. I was in charge. These were my men. I had authority over how they administered this punishment. All I can say is that when some men are given a horrific job to do, they not only do the job, but somehow in some twisted way they come to enjoy it. Because I know in my heart there's a darkness there. That somehow in these things, when you feel this authority over another man's life, you go above and beyond. And that is what my men did that night. You see, when they finished what they were ordered to do with the flogging, they went further. They began to mock him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They got this purple robe. I don't even know where they found it. And they wrapped it around him. And they, I don't know who came up with this idea, but they said, if he's a king, he needs a crown. So they got this thorns and they fashioned it into a crown and they jammed it down on his head and the blood gushed out. And they began to strike him. They began to spit on him and mock him. Then they blindfolded him and would hit him and say, Prophesy to us, O son of God, who hit you? And as I watched my men do this, I could have stopped them. They were my men under my authority. I could have stopped them. I should have stopped them. But I didn't. And I don't know why, except that in the darkest corner of my heart, I wanted to see him break. I wanted him to beg for mercy. I wanted him to know that I was in charge. His life was in my hands. Didn't he see that? But he never spoke. He never uttered one single word. He never cursed us. And he never once begged for mercy. I couldn't understand it. After every cruel thing that we had done to him, he still stood there as though he was the one in charge. It infuriated and baffled me at the same time. Who was this man? Could he really be the Son of God? Finally, we returned him to Pilate. And Pilate, thinking to gain the sympathy of the crowd, led this man, terribly beaten, out before them. Everyone could see that he had gone under more than any man should ever have to go through. Pilate hoped to draw on the crowd's mercy for this man. But instead they called out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And soon the entire mob was chanting this in unison, Crucify him! And Pilate couldn't believe it. After everything that we'd already done to this man, just let him go. And Pilate says, I see no fault in this man. But they called out, crucify him. And we could see the mob, the riot was beginning to form. And he was getting increasingly agitated at the scene. And finally, Pilate just says, Have your way. I wash my hands of this. And he handed Jesus over to me. He said, Take him out to Golgotha and crucify him. I'd receive my orders. And I am a soldier. And soldiers follow orders. So we went out up that road to Golgotha. Now the unofficial slogan of the Roman Empire that you've probably heard before is, All roads lead to Rome. We've said it many times with pride. All roads lead to Rome. But you see, the road up to Golgotha was the one exception. Because for the condemned, it was a one-way road, a one-way trip. Once a man was placed on the cross and raised up into the sky, there was no coming back now believe me when I tell you that a crucifixion is one of the most terrible and cruel forms of execution known to man I have no idea who came up with it but I don't want to be that man's friend it is a terrible thing and at one time Rome required that even common soldiers were to put prisoners upon the cross but they soon discovered that this so demoralized the men that they finally took to selecting one man as the executioner it was normally a man of such great strength and skill that when it came time to pin the man's hands and feet to the cross, with one blow he could drive the nail through into the, into the wood. One soldier I heard of once wrote this down. He said, Of all the sounds of hell, none is more pitiable than those terrible cries through the silence of midnight, where crucified men hang in agony and cannot die, while one breath of suffering remains. I have witnessed countless men die this way. It gets into your mind. You hear it in your sleep. The other two criminals that were crucified first on either side of Jesus were doing what we were used to prisoners doing ordinary men. They were screaming, despairing. They were cursing us, spitting at us, threatening us and our families. But as always, we knew their threats were meaningless. They were condemned men. But I cannot stress this enough. This Jesus was different. He never spat at us. He never threatened us. He never cursed at us. He reminded me like when I was a kid and we would see these little lambs being led to the slaughterhouse. They didn't know what was coming. So they'd never utter one word of protest. He was like this little lamb. And I told you how at the beginning of my career, there were only two crucifixions that really stand out to me, the first one and the last one. And I told you how that first man, I will never be able to forget that look in his eyes, the sheer terror as the nails were driven in, sealing his fate. And in the equal yet somehow completely opposite way, I will never forget the look in Jesus' eyes as the nails were driven in. I don't know quite how to explain it. I just have to tell you what I saw. instead of terror in his eyes, it was as though he was looking at me with compassion, with mercy, as though our roles were reversed, as though I was the one on the cross and he was the one administering the punishment. I couldn't understand it. I had never seen a look like his. As one final ironic insult... We had to hang this sign on his cross that said, The King of the Jews. And finally, after having done this, my men hoisted him up into the air. And hanging there on that cross, stripped of all dignity, dripping in blood, struggling for every last breath, what Jesus said next struck me like a bolt of lightning out of the clear blue sky. It penetrated my soul and I have never been the same since. He cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And it seemed as though I was the only one who heard him. My men and almost everyone else kept mocking him, hurling insults at him. The throngs of people who had followed him before were gone. They had ran for the hills I only saw a couple of followers of his on the hill that day, some women and one man. Everyone else had deserted him. But I had heard him, and I couldn't shake it. Why was he forgiving me? Wasn't he the condemned criminal? Wasn't he getting what he deserved? But then it struck me what if he wasn't getting what he deserved? What if he was truly innocent? Then why didn't he just say so? If he was innocent, why did he so willingly accept his fate? And why would he, above all things, forgive me for the terrible things that I had done to him, that I had allowed my men to do unabated? And believe me when I tell you, as a soldier... I have seen things that you would never imagine. And that in the hundreds of trials, floggings, and crucifixions that I have been a part of, not one man amongst them has behaved like this Jesus of Nazareth. What kind of a man was he? And who was he? Now, as if this entire ordeal up till now hadn't been crazy enough, things take an even stranger twist. I know this will sound absurd, but I am not lying to you. This is what we saw that day. It was the middle of the day, high noon. And suddenly, when the sun should have been filling the sky, everything just got dark. It was as though it got so dark and black as if it were midnight. It was as though the heavens themselves were conspiring to blot out this man's suffering so that no one else should see the misery that he was going through. And this dread, this fear fell over the entire crowd that was there. And my soldiers, they're cruel men but superstitious. And they began to shrink back from the cross. And for three hours, unabated, darkness covered the entire earth. So thick, the sun was nowhere to be seen. And at last, after these three hours of darkness, everyone is on edge. What is going to happen next? And this Jesus, he pushed himself up on the cross. He drew one last breath. And he cried out in a long, loud voice It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You could have heard a pin drop. Everyone listened. And suddenly, he breathed his last, and we could see the life go out of him as he slumped down on the cross. What kind of a man was this? We had no more time to think about the answer to that question, because at that moment, as his body slumped down on the cross, rocks began splitting around us. The ground began shaking. Everyone began yelling and running in all directions. It was mayhem. The crowd that had just hours before been hurling insults at him were running as fast as they could back down that hill. Everyone was terrified. But we soldiers, we had to stand our ground. We were in charge of this scene. My men were shaking. Some were crying out to their gods for mercy. No one knew what was happening. I was more terrified in that moment than I've ever been in my entire life. And I have seen the enemy. And they have never frightened me like this moment frightened me. Suddenly, it dawned on me. In my heart, I knew that it was true. Jesus of Nazareth was not an ordinary man. He was not a criminal getting what he deserved. And just like that inky blackness had descended on us hours earlier, it was now as though that inky darkness had lifted from my heart. It was as though my mind could see for the very first time in light light, wonderful light, just shone into my mind with this truth. It felt as though my heart would burst with it. I couldn't contain it. And before I even formulated the words, I heard myself shouting out, Surely this man was the Son of God. And as I looked upon him, I knew it was true. This man was different. This man had forgiven me. He was the Son of God. And finally it all made sense. I, on my knees before the cross of a condemned man who had preached a kingdom of love, a kingdom of peace, something we did not understand. We thought might was right. And he showed us something entirely different. He had the power to heal. I only had the power to kill. He touched those who were in suffering, even from a distance. And finally, he had willingly given up his life on a cross without one word of protest. And above all of this, he had asked his Father to forgive me. Me! Could it possibly be true? Could God forgive someone like me, a man of violence and bloodshed who had only inflicted suffering upon others my entire adult life the very man who had i had just hours before gone above and beyond to torture and humiliate and he was forgiving me it seemed impossible it seemed utterly absurd and yet i knew that it was true i was forgiven remember how i told you earlier that the road up golgotha is a one way road for the condemned Once you go up to Golgotha, once you go to the cross, there's no coming back alive. Well, I came back down the hill from Golgotha that day, but I did not come back the same. It was as though part of me had died on that hill, as though a part of me had died with Jesus on that cross. I went to a place of death, and somehow I came back feeling more alive than I had ever felt in my life. I don't know how, I didn't know why at the time, but I left Golgotha that day a changed man. Jesus was not just a man, he was and is the Son of God. You see, he is who he claimed to be. And most importantly of all, oh my friends, he has forgiven me. He had asked his Father to forgive me, and I know now that he was not getting what he deserved on that cross. He was getting what I deserved on that cross. He did it all so that I could be forgiven. And my friends, if he could forgive me, his own executioner, don't you think that he will also forgive you? No matter what you've done or where you've been in your life, no matter whether you've been a person of violence or deceit or shame, He will forgive you. I know He will because He has forgiven me. And you see, the best part is He didn't stay dead. Some of my own soldiers were there the day that He came out of that grave. But that is a story for another day. Today, I want to end with this. I want to tell you today that I am no longer a soldier of Rome. I am a soldier of Jesus Christ. I no longer get my marching orders from Caesar. I have a higher authority that I report to. Jesus is his name. He has given me a new banner that I fly. And I no longer wear the armor of a soldier. I wear the breastplate of righteousness with the sword of the Spirit in my right hand. And I fight the battle of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. I am a soldier of the cross. He's looking for more recruits, my friends. Will you join me? Will you join me as a soldier, not of Rome, not of a kingdom of this world, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Will you stand with me? Will you fight alongside in the good fight of faith? Because that is what we are called to do as soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ. I challenge you today, do not leave here as a civilian. Leave here. With the marching orders of Jesus Christ as his soldier, what does he want for your life? Are you flying his banner or your own? Your own will not last, my friends, but his will fly forever and into all eternity. Will you stand with me? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you awed by your sacrifice, awed that you would go to such lengths to forgive even your own executioner. But Lord, I know in my heart that it is true that not only did you forgive that centurion, but that Lord, you have forgiven the sins of each and every person who's here today, and we have but to receive it, but to say, yes, Lord, you are the Son of God, I believe I believe that you are who you claim to be. I believe that you conquered death and sin on that cross and that you rose from the dead and that my victory is in you. And so today, Lord, we stand not as civilians, not as those who are overly concerned with the affairs around us of this world. We stand as soldiers of Jesus Christ. We receive a new and higher authority from you. Our marching orders, our mission for this life comes from you. Give us courage, Lord, boldness to live this out, to make the most of the time we are given. To not say no to one order, but to simply obey without question, knowing that your will and your way is the highest good for our lives. And so, Father, we pray that you would send us out today. Send us out under your authority to take back the kingdom of darkness, to claim it for the kingdom of the Son you love in whom we have been given authority, And so, Lord Jesus, we hold up your banner today. We say, you reign in this place. You reign in this church. You reign in this town. You reign in this nation. Lord Jesus, may you reign forever and ever. Amen.